If you love what you do for a living, you'll never have to work a day in your life, or so the saying goes. From the very first email that I received from today's guest, I could feel her enthusiasm toward her job, her employer, and the athletes whom she represents as the head of communications for the Abbott World Marathon majors. Lorna Campbell joins us today to discuss how she has parlayed a letter writing campaign, relentless volunteering and networking into a decades long career in sport. Having worked multiple Olympics, Commonwealth Games, and the biggest marathons in the world, as well as living in several different countries, she knows a thing or two about loving her job to the point that hard work hardly feels like work at all. She has some great advice for those of you looking to break in or make a change in your career path. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Busseau, coming to you from sunny Broomfield, Colorado. It is January 21st, 2020, and this is episode 27. 2021. Oh my God, it's 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder it's 21-121. If you're from Scotland, it's 121-21 if you're from the US. I wonder how many times I've done that this year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't apologize. I should be apologizing to everybody who are setting their calendars by this podcast. I'm going to update my note right there. Wow. Okay. Well, it is 2021 and we have Lorna Campbell here on the podcast today. So thank you for the correction and setting me straight. And thank you for being on the podcast. It's really nice to see you, Troy. And thank you very much for having me. Wow. Oh, I still can't get over that. Well, you reached. I only noticed because it's quite a it's quite an iconic date. Well, like twenty oh, twenty one. Right. You know, yeah, it is. Oh, that's right. Oh yeah. Huh. Okay. Well. Oh well. It, live and learn. It happens. Um, I'll 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 have to go back and update those. Um, okay. So you reached out to us actually not to be on the show about I don't know about six weeks ago. You are from the Abbott World Marathon majors. And you threw us a handful of guests. So we've actually interviewed three of the athletes that you've um, thrown our way, all of which have been, I think, fantastic conversations and fantastic people. So thank you for for that intro or those intros. And uh, you and I had been talking, and I just loved your story. And so I wanted to have you on, and I think that uh, a lot of people will enjoy it. And I think, frankly, from a purely practical sense, this being, you know, so much shakeup in the world over the last year. I get a lot of people reaching out asking how they can get into this industry um, or sports in general. And I think that you just have a great story to tell behind the the hard work and perseverance and sacrifice that you've sort of uh, laid out there over the years to get into and stay into this industry. So that's why I wanted to have you on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a funny meeting because I've been um, part of Athlinks for years. And when you sent the the note round about the podcast, I was like, one, personally, this is cool because there's something else I can listen to. And oh, I didn't know that you did this. And then two, I was like, but we have all these amazing runners that I have the pleasure of coming across yeah. at events and now more so on email and virtually and social media and things. And I was like, some of our runners have got to be such a good fit and it was yeah it was just perfect timing I think for us both yeah that sounds great yeah and I mean really to cut to the chase I think the message from today whether it's the Athlinks podcast or getting into the industry in general is just start like just get out there and do it um we'd been yes. thinking about doing a podcast for years and frankly never did it we were so busy with race seasons and everything else and you know what format do you use and everything else and really 
we just kind of decided one day, let's do this, bought a couple of mics and like the next day recorded our first show. So, um, uh, long story short, that's the TLDR. If you want to stop listening to the podcast now, that's the story. That's the that's secret. <laughs> but I think yeah, we can... I'm, I'm with you though. You've got yeah. to, I, I absolutely agree. Like I, I've always been passionate about sport. I grew up playing sport, loving sport, having this dream of, oh, I want to be a sports reporter on the television and having no idea how to do that. And, and really, okay, I haven't ended up doing that so much, but I carved a career that wasn't, you know, you, you come out of school and everyone's like, well, are you going to be a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer? Or There's all these set careers. Nobody really knows how to tell somebody who likes sport how to turn it into a career. And basically, I just did lots of work experience. Like you say, you don't give up. You And you don't expect it to come to you. So, like, you've got to put yourself out there. I always say that to people who ask me, like, Nobody knows that you're sitting at home waiting to break into sport. You've mm -hmm. got to show that you're keen. You've got to put yourself forward. Do lots of work for free, which you, you have, you know, you've got to put yourself. Yeah. But then there's a point where you also have to become valuable to yourself and to other people. You can't do something free forever because the industry will never grow and develop if everybody is undercutting yeah. everybody else, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so you grew up in, in Scotland. So my condolences on Sean Connery. Sorry to, that was a, that was a big blow. Yeah. One, one He's a legend. The, yeah. He is yeah. a legend He's yeah. a, globally. Um, and you know, one of the things that really struck me is you started kind of listing off these stories and well, this is when I lived in Singapore, this is when I lived over here and it was like, wow. And so I started piecing together just what you said in terms of being willing to go where the work is, leveraging big events like the Olympics and where they need a whole lot of people. And just, it sounded like you kind of was like, well, okay, I'll go do handball. I'll go do this and that. And you, you didn't really just say, well, I'm just this. You really kind of dove in where the work was, as you said, volunteered, give up some of your time. And so I wanted to dig into some of those stories there and, and just kind of talk about, um, you know, one of the things that came up the other day where you were saying like the, the industry has certainly changed and maybe the jobs that were there last year aren't necessarily there this year, but you have things like YouTube and, and different, you know, smaller media channels and things that you can go do. So again, just wanted to dig into, you know, kind of some details in your life and how you, how you found your way out of Scotland now living in the United States and a whole lot of other places in between. So. Yeah, I, I suppose I've, I've been right around the world and then went, past Scotland and came this way. Um, I never I never imagined doing all the things I've done and none of it was planned. So it's really true when they say you can't plan for the future because you just have to take every opportunity that that comes your way. And I think I just had that about me. I, I decided, which was a hard decision, but I went to university and I did sports science and physical education. And I was told by some people, do journalism, that's the way to do it. And then someone said to me, they said, learn your craft, like learn sport, because if that's what you want to be an expert in, 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 in the media, you need to know what you're talking about. And that was key for me because you can learn to write, you can get better at writing, you can get better at presenting, you can learn to write a press release and all those things. But if you don't understand what you're writing about, that's a, that's a problem. So I did my sport, but then you come out without a profession. And you're like, what do you do with this degree? You haven't got any experience. Nobody wants to hire you without experience. So that was when I really started to, okay, what what can I do to get myself out there? And I literally did pay myself 
to go from Scotland to Melbourne, Australia mm. to work for the Scottish team at the Commonwealth Games in 2006 and sort of put my hand up and said, I'll be your press officer, accredit me, I'll do it for free, I will go and cover hockey, athletics, rugby union, I'll write the match reports, I'll send pieces to the Scottish newspapers, I'll help out as needed. And really doing that, showing that I was keen and showing that I had the knowledge on the sports was was the foot that you know the foot in and from there people just gave me opportunities I've really been lucky wow. everybody that have sort of come across and I came back to Scotland after that going okay that was great but I still don't have a full-time job so I volunteered with the rugby union um doing more of their rugby sevens which is a big sport in Scotland not so much here but it's it's growing and I then um decided to go and do some volunteer teaching in um South Africa just to to again get more experience do something else while I was waiting for that for that break yeah. and a sort of series of bumping into people from Scotland and South Africa as you do and people sort of helping me to get introductions and and one thing led to another the Sevens team were in Singapore I paid to travel there and an agency there said, you know, hey, we'd love to have you in our wow. team. I didn't know what sports PR was, but I told my mum and dad I was going to Singapore for six months. I'd got this job, didn't really know what it was, but it was in sports. And it was at a time when sport was just growing in Asia. So um, like we were chatting about the other day, I was lucky to be part of an agency who was involved in the first ever Singapore Grand Prix night race. That was huge for the country. Mm. They won the bid to host the Singapore Youth Olympic Games, which was the first ever Youth Olympic Games. It was a small place with a lot of sport and a lot of excitement coming. And I was there at the right time and able to get involved in a huge number of sports. So that, like you said, I didn't just put myself in one box. I was kind of dipping into lots of different things to give me options down the road. Yeah, well, and as you said, there's nobody that knows you're sitting at home wanting this this career. And so you went out there, you really, you said you were lucky. I think you were fortunate, but I don't think you were lucky because you certainly put in the work to put your face and name and, uh, you know, yourself out there and meeting people. And so when those opportunities came up, you know, it was sort of like, hey, I know this Lorna and she's been hanging around like gum on our shoe and, you know, let's give her a <laughs> shot, right? You know. Yeah, and and Singapore for me, I mean, so I, I planned to go for six months. I actually ended up being there for 12 years, believe it or not. And, um, you know, really when I think back now and I, I think when you're in COVID times and you're not doing very much, I, I, I for one certainly look at my phone and go, oh, this time last year I was doing this or this time. I'm, I, I sometimes forget some of the things I've been lucky enough to do. Yeah. You know, I, I worked in a lot of golf events. I've, I've worked with you know, Sergio Garcia, Annika Sorumstam, people that I idolized. Mm. I, I now do a lot of tennis work, you know, Roger Federer, um, Simona Halep, all the, you know, the Williams sisters, all these people go, oh my goodness, I forgot I did that. And yeah. it's, it's been really busy. And I think now is a point in my life where I can look back and go, yeah, I actually have ticked a lot of boxes, a lot of boxes. and a lot of surprise boxes, yeah. you know? So how much hustle is involved in there? Like, I mean, nowadays you were sort of doing it um, at a time before, I think it was probably as easy as it is in terms of um, reaching people through Instagram or, you know, whatever social channels you can kind of get to people a little easier nowadays. But how much, 
like how were you hustling those things in terms of getting to the right person? You said that you sort of raised your hand to go down to Australia. How did, did you send off an email to somebody at the, I think I think it was letters in those days as well. Definitely no social media, <laughs> yeah. no smartphones. I had a mobile phone, but it wasn't anything fancy. Um, writing letters and then trying to go and meet people in person, you know, actually writing to ask, can I come in and see you? I remember going into the rugby union office and having a, having a chat. And it was actually a lady who was the director of communications at that time. And I think she understood the challenges that I was facing. And I sort of was very honest and said, I've, I've been here before and I've been turned away every time. Um, I just want a chance to prove that I can do it. And she gave me an opportunity, you know, like I said, they accredited me. They didn't give me any money, but it gave me that chance to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what I can do. I've kind of always been like, all right, I'll, I'll yeah. show you. And um, yeah, you just really like, meeting people in person, networking, taking advantage of every opportunity. You know, I remember I was in at the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and I remember going out for dinner. It was a complete surreal experience with three of my idols. Um, one of them was a, he's an absolutely world-class rugby commentator, Ian Robertson, and he really took me under his wing and, I don't know, he must have, you know, young Scottish girl, first time doing yeah. this kind of thing. And he took me out for dinner with him and Andy Nichols, who is one of Scotland's most capped rugby players, huge personality, and Jill Douglas, who is a very successful female presenter who I idolised. And there was me sitting in, in Melbourne having dinner with yeah. these two people, you know, and then just staying in touch with those people and learning from them and finding opportunities to go and help at other events. And, yeah, just just yeah. pushing and pushing. And then Singapore, you know, I, I've... I found my sort of little niche. I, I play golf. So that helped me sort of, we did a lot of golf events in those days. And that was a sport that I could really be comfortable with because I knew it. I could yeah. talk about it. I was comfortable, mm. you know, and yeah, it's kind of, my life's kind of been a bit of, a bit of, <laughs> it's yeah. really, but. Yeah. I know. mean, there's certainly a, a certain level of fortune involved in there, but the, again, putting yourself out there. I've, I've, I've been at some dinners before in very similar situations. Um, I had dinner with a guy, Nelson Ferris, who was one of the first employees at Nike and just sat there for two hours as he told us all these great stories. And, and yeah, you kind of, you're like pinching yourself, like, man, how did I end up? And you, you know, you sort of look backward at the previous five years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever it was and all the things that led to you being at that dinner table. And, um, and I think what you just, what you just, uh, pointed to, which is, you know, making those contacts, staying in touch, fostering those relationships, um, and making sure that, you know, when you went and saw the lady at the rugby union, it wasn't about necessarily what you wanted. It was how you could bring value to them. You know, yeah. they, nobody really cares what you want, frankly, right? It's like, okay, well, you're willing, you want a shot. I get that. Everybody wants a shot, but how, how are you going to bring value to me in this organization? Yeah. And filling it, filling a gap where they maybe need someone, and, and often it's where they can't afford somebody, right? They can't maybe afford to send someone, but there was me going, "I'll do it, I'll do it," you know, and, yeah. and those kind of things. And I appreciate that now when people contact me on LinkedIn or wherever, you know, I know where they're coming from, and yes, I can't always provide that opportunity for them, but I'm very conscious of not trying to shut them out because that was me. Yeah. you know, just trying to find avenues and opportunities. And yeah. um, because I've worked at a lot of um, Olympics now, and when I work at the 
in the summer games, I have 75 to 80 volunteers under me. And a lot of them are what I would have, you know, I would have been fortunate all my Olympic roles have been paid for, you know, paid employment and, and, and proper uh, jobs. But those volunteers are doing what I was doing yeah. before and they're just desperate to get a foot in the door. And then they're one of 80 and they're all dying to do my job. And it's, you know, but some of <laughs> yeah. them stay in touch and some of them have managed to get other positions and yeah. some of them make a career of just volunteering at Olympics and getting such pleasure out of that. And that's, that's their thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it really doesn't, I think it's surprising how easy it is to build a resume that way in terms of you start to throw some high profile events that, that certainly catches an employer's eye to see that, okay, wow, you were at the, the Olympic games or the Commonwealth games or Boston marathon or whatever it was. So some of these volunteer jobs where it's a day of your life or a weekend of your life or a little bit longer, but the ways that especially young people can parlay that into whether it's the next volunteer job again to build the resume or it's starting down toward a paid position where they can start to really um, start to tell that story and, and build a narrative around why they're valuable in that space. And also just giving, I really, yeah, I think volunteering is so important because also sometimes your perception of what a job is, is not the reality. So, oh, your job sounds so amazing because all you get to do is hang out with athletes all day. No, you don't. Like there's, you know, there's parts of a certain job where you do that. But yeah. at the Olympics, for example, I am only with I, I manage tennis, um, the media operations at the tennis. I only see the players on the final day at the end of three months when I am um emceeing the press conference when they've received their medals. Yeah. That's it. I don't come into contact with my um priority and my my um client base if you like are the journalists so the players are often another area being looked after by other people i am looking after the reporters and and that that is my group of people i don't see don't see the players you know and yeah. people come and they volunteer and they think that they're going to be you know brushing alongside rafa nadal and, and it's like no if you're in this job this is yeah. what you're doing and yes we'll try and let you see some games and you'll you'll get elements of that but you are certainly not going to be you know doing what you think you're you know we're yeah. doing so giving people the right expectations and not wanting to dampen their spirits but just being realistic about what a role is and a lot of our jobs are not you know glamorous you're you know olympics you know 6 a.m till midnight is a, was a usual day for me in rio and yeah. that's for 27 days straight you know yeah, I think that's a that's an untold story of a lot of a lot of industries is people focus on the you know whether they're the you know the stars of the sports or the movies or whatever or the you know the people in the nice suits and you know power ties kind of thing but they they forget about all the people who are sort of you know sleeping under their desks and you know working their way up. So um, I think it's I think that's a great point in terms of volunteering to sort of you know. Uh, it's a little bit of a blind date with the job to kind of go in there and just dip your toe in the water and say, okay, do I, do I want any part of this? Have you had any experiences where the expectations did not meet reality in either really positive or really negative ways? Yes. Um, I'm just thinking back to, um, to London Olympics. There was huge support and enthusiasm. I mean, London really was one of the most successful games. And like you said, I was in handball, which actually is an awesome sport and if you haven't seen it 
check it out. I, I wish I'd played it. I never played it as a kid. But it was it was great. But we were doing media operations. And one particular vo- volunteer came in there absolutely thinking that he was going to be looking after the athletes. And he wasn't. Yeah. And he tried and tried. He'd turn up in changing rooms. He would turn up in places he should never have been mm. to the point that we had to say, look, this is not for you and you need to leave. But then you get others. And in Pyeongchang, I had a guy who came from Canada to volunteer with me in the, the main press centre at the Winter Olympics. And he loved it so much. He's now creating a career volunteering and trying to get those paid roles in media ops around the world. So he's awesome. kind of doing what I was was doing. Yeah. So some people love it. Some people hate it. it. It depends what their, like you say, what their expectation is and, and whether they're just looking for that Instagram shot. You know right. how it's sort yep. of become that now. People want those, <clears throat> those pictures and those moments where actually the reality is it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, uh, again, people reach out and they'll want, um, you know, it's sort of like, a, you know, Hey, can you, are you guys hiring or, you know, can I come work for you or whatever it is? And, and, um, I'm shocked by how many people where it's like, well, we're not hiring right now. And that's the last I hear of it, you know, where it's like, well, either, maybe they sent out a hundred of those types of correspondence and, and somebody said, sure, but just, uh, you know, I mean, I know the grind that I went to, to get into, uh, you know, whether it was this or, or my previous business with, um, celeb sites where we did a lot of stuff in Hollywood with uh, PR agencies. And I saw how an industry like the entertainment industry works, where literally you have Wharton MBAs, who are sitting on the floor outside of agents' offices with headphones in, taking notes. So when the agent says, you know, hey, I'll send you that whatever, the reel of film or box of cigars, that Wharton MBA is writing that down and then they're jumping over and, you know, taking that box of cigars or whatever to the post office. And they're, I mean, they are the grunts of the grunts. And, you know, this is somebody who is well-trained, highly educated, you know, usually blue blood but they're willing to put in that work and really hustle through to get that position. Yeah, and you know. if, if you don't show up again and someone contacts you and doesn't come back, you know that someone else is going to contact you. Yeah. You know, you've got to you've got to keep keep going and I mean I used to like I wanted to do, you know, reporting, so I used to do um write articles for local newspapers and submit them. Like I didn't get paid, but I said, you know, I'll cover these. I'd go and watch the local hockey match or the rugby match. I would do a local radio station once a week. I did a, a show when I was in my senior year at high school and there was four of us every week. You gotta you gotta no you know kidding. do all these things. So and volunteered working behind the scenes on Saturday morning television with BBC Scotland for a week. There's there's always things you can you can do, but for six six years I I did a lot but didn't earn one penny. Wow. You know, but that then got me into roles but I supplemented that by I worked in a bank and I worked in a cinema for four or five years and I had a degree I had a bachelor of science honors degree but that wasn't going to get me a job I had Mm. to physically do the footwork yeah well it's funny you and I were talking the other day about the difference between Scotland and the United States with regard to college tuition so in your case there wasn't a big delta between making no money and a college education but really yeah. what you were building was this master's level education on how to work in a television studio and how to cover sports and all of those things where in the United States, that that's a massive delta. That's a 
$150,000 education, yeah. basically, that yes, you're not making money doing those things, but you're also not spending $150,000 to, frankly, come out with a degree that somebody like myself in a position of hiring, I, I couldn't care less about that degree versus somebody who came in and said, hey, look, I've worked at these television stations, I've covered these sports, I've done this, here's a, here's a book of my work. That is far more valuable than the degree ever could be. Absolutely. And I don't regret for a second going to uni because I went to sport, I went to Loughborough, which is a sports institute. So I really did learn about sport, you know, from psychology, sociology, physiology, all of the bits that helped me understand what I now talk about. But like you say, it was the experience of being at events and writing and presenting that then somebody was interested. Nobody ever really asks what degree did you get and yeah. certainly not what, what level you got was it a first we call them you know first second third I've never been asked what I got by the time that you think that is the most important thing in the world and I'm not I'm not against college education but definitely using your holidays using your evenings using your free time to get out there and actually learn your skill whatever that may be and yeah. get that work experience is is definitely the the step up, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like the equivalent of someone having an, an MBA, you know, I had the work experience. So that set me apart from yeah. everyone else in the same qualification. Yeah. And really the beauty of sport in general, and certainly within endurance sport, road racing, bike racing, all of these things is that, I mean, volunteers are in such high demand. Every race needs a volunteer. And yes, maybe the first weekend you go out there, you're handing out water, and then over the course of a couple months, you get to know that race director and now you're working, you know, in the timing tent or whatever it is, you're, you're building up levels of skill and knowledge and understanding. And whether you want to go be a race director or you want to cover the, the sport or you want to work in, in the industry, there is no shortage of opportunities for you to go out there and give two, three, four hours of yourself and parlay that into networking, skill sharing, all of those things. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's it's a fine line as well, because to be honest, there's nothing more irritating than having someone who you know has taken a role, but their main objective is to get your job or someone else. <laughs> so you have to be patient with it. You have yeah. to be good at the role you're given. You, do you know what I mean? So absolutely. You're, you're employed as my helper in the media centre. I want you to be really good at that. And that will impress me rather than you going off to try and chat up the journalists in the back row because you want to work for them. Yeah. You know, so do your job well and and soak up as much as you can because you know, if you're if you're sort of um looking to emulate those people, you need to watch them and learn and and take on those things. But there's a there's a line between being good and being Pissed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certainly don't bite the hand that feeds you for the person who brought you in as a volunteer. Don't, don't try to stab yeah. them in the back right off the bat. Give it time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's opportunities and just being a volunteer, like don't underestimate the importance that, 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 that role has, you know, the Olympics and all these things could not happen. And the, the majors could not happen without volunteers. So what you're doing in that moment has such an impact on other areas that you may not see and you may not touch. Yeah. But we can't put a race on if we don't have enough people on the course, enough people helping the medical, helping at the expo, whatever it is. There's all these different facets and your role is 
really really important and like embrace that and be be proud of it you know but I think being a volunteer is something you should should shout about nowadays giving back is something you know really important I think yeah 100 percent and even in a lot of cases a lot of I know Spartan does a really good job of of um, rewarding I think you have to volunteer something like four races and then you get a free race entry things like that so you know it's sort of a um a uh, what is it a virtuous cycle where you're volunteering is help paying your race entries you're you know now you're sort of living two lives and building two foundations um up through the same activity of giving and volunteering and again all the people you'll meet when you're racing versus volunteering it's a whole different set of people and and opportunities for you so yeah i think the the just getting your foot in the knowing what you want is is really key. Like understanding what your goals are within the industry, and and trying to figure out. Um, you said it beautifully early on. Is sort of know your sport. That's more important than the the individual skills that simply take time. Like you have to learn how to be yes. a good writer, project manager, whatever those things are going to be. But. Um, yeah, yeah, it seems if like you the understand two. the sport, like I think golf for me is is you know the perfect example. I've played since I was sixteen. Very sounds very cliched because I'm Scottish, but hey, <laughs> played golf. So for me to then write a press release about it when we're working on the Singapore Open, the Malaysian Open, the Ryder Cup, whatever it is, I know all the terms. If I didn't yeah. know golf, how can I? talk about Sergio, you know, finishing on the 18th with a birdie to finish at five under par. Yeah. You know, if you don't know golf, you're like, what did those words mean? What, what, yeah. what is that? So understand what you're then going to write about because someone can help you with the writing, but having someone sit you down and tell you, this is how the game of golf works, or this is how American football works, whatever it may be. Yeah. If you come in with that knowledge, that, that really, you know, gives you a kick. Yeah. So you're not saying things like he birdied the par and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and looking like a fool, you know, because people, people just, you know, very quick to knock you down if you'd make mistakes like that. Yeah, for sure. There, there are so many of those little landmines in our sport and, um, uh, like it's very easy to just, just very small tweaks in the language. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And it shows. Yes. So put in in the research and and do it. And if if it's a sport that you can take part in, I mean, again, like handball, I hadn't done anything about it, but they actually gave us a chance to play it as we were working in London over the few months before the games. And it really makes things come to life when you felt, I mean, it's hard, you know, you understand it, you appreciate it. And running's the same. Like I run, but when you see these elite runners, you're like, wow, like you can really appreciate it because you know how hard it is to do what you do. Yeah. When I was about 12 years old, I was actually chased by the the number one ranked handball player in the country in the United States. He was, he lived in our neighborhood and I don't know if you had it in Scotland, but the ding dong ditch where you'd ring someone's doorbell and then run. And we- Knock door run. Yeah. So we did that a couple of times to this guy and the, the, the next time we did it, he was ready and my buddy rang the doorbell. And I mean, the second he hit the doorbell, the door flies open. And there was about five of us and we go all running in different directions. And for whatever reason, he chose to chase me. And I mean, it was a it was a long chase. He was very intent on catching me, but he did not catch me. So <laughs> it's a competitive game and it's, oh, it's yeah. actually awesome. It's like a mix of 
baseball and basketball and yeah. netball and all sorts. Yeah, something but, tells me he was staying a couple of feet behind me just to scare the heck out of me, which he did. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, he was a very fit, athletic guy. We'd known him from the neighborhood. I don't know why we were, why we chose to mess with him, but uh, yeah, that's my handball story for the day. And you called it Ding Dong Ditch. Ding Dong Ditch. Yeah, I don't know what other other cultures call it. That's what we called it. When Knock we were kids. door run. Knock door very run. Simple. Yep, very simple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've never done it, though, but I know that's what it's called. Sure, you haven't done it. Oh, yeah, you should do it. You should do it now. I think you'd get <laughs> shot these days if you tried to do that. Probably. Yeah. And there's ring doorbells. So that's everyone it. Can yeah, you door. would just end up on, on Twitter or something. <laughs> yeah, see how much technology has changed and everything oh. that we can and can't do. That was yeah. good, innocent fun. <clears throat> yeah, I know. And it's funny because that, that really makes me think of like when I started, like I was saying about writing letters and the the time, there was an urgency in what I did because there was deadlines for, yeah. so the deadlines are different. So do you remember we had deadlines for, for newspapers? So we would be, we were in Australia filing for the Commonwealth Games, but back in Scotland, that was like 13 hour, 14 hour time difference. Mm. So you were constantly working on when the newspaper stopped so that you could get into the newspaper the next day. Got it. I'm just thinking now how different it is when, Fast forward, 12 years later, I was back in Australia because the Commonwealth Games was held on the Gold Coast this time. And we were doing social media and, and creating our own content and getting things out any time of day because you know yeah. they're going to get up. The, the whole landscape is, has changed of that, which is really quite incredible when you think like how much more is at your fingertips, you know? Oh, it's it's amazing. I look at my kids and the 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 opportunities that are right in front of them that, that they just don't see yet, you know, they're just not old enough to really fully take advantage of them. But the, whether it's just creating content or distributing that content, or again, if you want to meet that person, like if you're persistent enough, you can meet that person. Now, maybe not if it's like, I'm sure my daughter would love to meet Harry Styles, which she'd kill me if she ever listened to this podcast. But, you know, the the person who handles Harry Styles or something, you can certainly get to those people and ask them questions. And people are generally yeah. pretty gracious with their time on that side. So, And like sport, you know, before you would you would read, and I, I used to read the newspaper and that, I'd start, I still do, I start at the back of the paper and read forward. I always start with the sports. Mm -hmm. But that was it. That was where you got your information or you watched the news and that five minute sports section at the end of the news. It's how we do it at home. But now you can follow that person or like you say, someone who's creating that account for the person. But you can understand an athlete's journey and engage in the sport or the federation or the, the games. You know, the Olympic yeah. Games has so many of its own um, content channels now. It's completely different the way that you're absorbing it as well as putting it out there, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, what I love about the social media on the, on the, on the athlete side of things is you're no longer only able to follow the person that NBC or CBS or ABC wants you to follow, right? They, some sports editor and, and they chose great people, but it's one storyline. Um, and you know, like you would watch those Iron Man things that NBC would put together when we were kids and stuff. And, they would follow three or four people and you, invariably you'd be really compelled by one of those stories, but then they would yeah. only spend like a minute on that person. They'd spend all, you know, so like being able to go and follow someone on Instagram and get to know them and understand like their training and how they're building this life and all of that stuff is really compelling. Um, and it's, and the cool part is again, is you're not just, their fortunes are not solely in the hands of 
of an editor, basically, at, you know, at some network or whatever. So it's, it's fun to watch. And uh, it's cool to see where, where our industry, sports in general or endurance specifically, has gone over the last you know, several years to, to build up these stars that are just basically willing to put themselves out there. Yeah, it gives people more of a face. And I think not to get too heavy into sort of the male-female piece. I know there's a big push by a lot of athletes at the moment on how um, men's sport, as we know, is covered a lot a lot more. And there's lots, there's lots and lots of reasons for that. But by having social media, these women are able to have that voice mm-hmm. and call it out, but also create yeah. their own noise and their own podcasts and their own, you know, books and channels that they wouldn't have had the option before. It was like you say, it was what was on the paper. And that was it. Yeah. But there is more avenues. So if somebody isn't being heard, they can they can create their own noise. Yeah. Well, and I will I will use this opportunity to sort of lament a little bit. We've been um, we've had a handful of people reach out and you know ask us you need to have need to have more women on the on the podcast. And I will say very candidly, um, men are much more aggressive in putting their name out there and asking to be on the show and. What always comes to my mind is that imposter syndrome type of thing, and I think women suffer from it in much higher degree. Suffer is the wrong word, but identify with it in much higher um, rates. Where there are, I think, phenomenal stories out there. Claire Bird, whom you sent to us, like just a you know basically a housewife from Calgary who's qualified for Boston a handful of times, and like a great story, great conversation. I loved that episode. Um, and I think there's a lot of women out there like her who just are like, eh, I don't have a good story to tell. Whereas there's guys out there who have frankly haven't done half of the things that she's done and are just, you know, beating the door down saying, you know, I want to be on the show. So I would, uh, you know, I would certainly say uh, don't don't be afraid of your own story. Don't second guess yourself. Reach out. We'd love to have, you know, more stories yeah. told on our podcast and others. But I think that that's something that, that does have to change with regard to that is women, you know, and being the father of a daughter, the husband of a wife, like women just need to be more aggressive in their kind of, you know, break that door down. We, we want to hear the stories. We really do. Yeah. I'm with you. Cause I mean, I, I get emails or our team gets emails from a lot of runners who are on their six star journey or they've completed it and they are the only male doctor in a specific city who's done it you know and they want to tell you that story and it's great but like you say I have to dig a little bit deeper to find the women or actually the the really really interesting stories because they're not they're not aware yeah of their fortune or their misfortune and I always am very conscious of not also making it too US centric because as much as a huge proportion of our runners because of the geographical location of our majors and just the way that the running world is a big proportion are American, but we have runners all around the world. And I really try as much as possible to uncover the other areas of the world because you want to really show that breadth and, and educate people yeah. in different different circumstances. Yeah. It's interesting. You just said fortune and misfortune. That's another thing that I've noticed is uh, the of the women who have reached out, a lot of them are around misfortune, the stories that they feel like should be told or that that that, that is their story. Um, and again, in talking to some, we've got some scheduled coming up here and and we've done, I mean, you know, Danny, uh, Shanahan was just this last episode, fell down in the middle of a 10 K got back up, smashed her PR by a minute and, uh, hit the, uh, 
um, the Olympic Standard Time. Like, great story. So what that wasn't like a tragedy or anything. That was really a story of perseverance. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 that's what I don't want is where every story featuring a woman is like having to overcome this terrible thing. And there are some great stories out there that that are very inspiring. So, um, you know, Fitz Kohler was on who um, battled through breast cancer. It was great stories, very compelling. Um, but, you know, I want to tell the great stories like, like Danny Shanahan and, you know, share that and inspire, um, you know, this idea of like women can only be inspired by women and vice versa. You know, it's like I get inspired by women every day, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It's how you put the information across and it's that goosebump moment that can come from hearing from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely like with Danny's story, when I heard the story and then when I heard her tell it, it was just like, man, it is, I don't, I just can't even imagine because this was a really important race for her and she, she popped up. She never, to her recollection, there was never did it cross her mind to sort of, you know, yell at the official or cause she got clipped by a pacer to kind of cut her off a little bit, not, not maliciously, but just kind of hit her foot and she went down and she just popped right back. Like never one time it entered her mind to stop or to, you know, well, I'll get it next race. Um, it was a great story. Well, and if she had paused, if that doubt had crept in, mm. she would have got her goal, oh. you know, because it, all that would be lost. 100%. Lost time to just keep, keep going. Hundred percent, and so much of that is like you know, one of the beauties of running. Um, like you can have a momentary lapse in rugby, football, anything else, and maybe miss the shot. And unless the game's on the line in that particular moment, last shot of the game kind of thing, people have a lapses in you know mental throughout the game, in running and cycling and any of these things. That momentary doubt you can see it where they just, they, you know, the chain breaks, they lose the pack and they're, they're, yep. they're off the back. And I just, I love that about endurance sports that it is such a, it is, I, I think much more mental than physical um, in terms of your individual performance. Right. I mean, where you finish in the standings as far as like, I could never go win a marathon physically. But I, you know, whoever is in my group that I compete with, it's, yeah, over the course of 26.2 miles, you are going to have serious mental uh, yes. exercises to go through for sure. Because you've not done one yet, have you? But I'm you're not. thinking about it. Yeah, my, my long runs. Yeah, my long runs are, I've got a 20 miler this weekend. I'm actually going past, uh, for whatever reason, so I'm turning 50 this year, so I'm, 50 chasing 50. So I'm going to do a 50 miler this summer. And so for, I don't know why I didn't do a marathon, but I'm going to go, I'm going to do the 50 and then back down to a marathon. I think. Okay. So well, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll go through the distance as part of your training. For sure. Yeah. So I've got 20 miles this weekend. I've done like a 24 miler a couple years ago. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm loving the training and I, I, I love long rides and my, I, I think I finally got my brain to a point where I can run slow, manage it, walk when I need to, do whatever. Uh, I'm yeah. really not going for time in this one, so it's just just do the distance and and do it healthy. So, and the the trick, well, I mean, I've only done I've done two marathons, but 
the first one I really hit that mental dark nasty mm. horrible spot I hit it about mile 18 my second one and I think I just was prepared for it and yeah. knew how to distract myself better and be be sort of more in the moment I didn't hit it till mile 22 or 23 and that helped a lot <laughs> you know and, and what was your technique for getting through it because um I've I've talked to some different people in terms of how they deal with it but what was your way of fighting through distraction distraction so the first marathon I did was in Sugarloaf uh, up in Maine and it was a very small marathon, so most of it I ran solo. It was one road from eighty point to point, wow. and very miserable weather. It was May, but it was nineteen when we started, wow. and it was brutal, up and down. And I couldn't get out of the ruts, and there wasn't anyone to chase, and there wasn't people around, and there was nothing. So I just got into this dark hole, and my music had started to play for the second time, and oh. I, I couldn't take a bullet <laughs> for the second time. But the, the Atlanta marathon that I did literally the week before COVID really, really hit, 1st okay. of March, 20, I joined a pace group and I ch I chatted to two of the pacers for 20 miles. We just talked about everything and anything, took wow. my mind off it. So I didn't realize I'd got <clears throat> to that point. Oh, wow. And when, you know, when the struggle hits, at least yeah. I had people there. And the funny thing you said about it's, it's who around you is most mentally strong there was 15 of us that started with the Pacers for 3.45 and only two of us finished. Everyone wow. else dropped on the track. Wow. And I'm yeah. sure they'd physically trained for it, but they just didn't hang on and they, they they got me there. And I was so grateful to have these people with me. And I constantly thinking, if I drop off, I'm on my own again. You've got to stay. And just having people around you, for me, that, that makes a big difference. Were you running marathons before you joined uh, Abbott and the World Marathon Majors? No, nope. oh. I had no inkling. I'd done uh, three or four half marathons. Um, I came to running literally when I moved to Singapore because it was sort of these races were like, again, there wasn't really a lot. And then it suddenly <clears> became <throat> a thing. All these five and 10 Ks were popping yeah. up everywhere. And I'd gone from, I still played hockey, but I was a field hockey player. And um, yeah, I started just, just doing those for fun. Never trained, didn't warm up. I'd get to the start line and just run. Yeah. And, you know, but, but knew enough about running and, and had some experience. And when I joined the World Marathon Majors and everybody's talking about marathons, I was like, maybe I should do one just to just to understand the journey, because I'm talking to athletes all the time and they're all, you know, telling me the story. So I think I should understand the, the process. So I did two in 10 months um, and I'm happy. <laughs> Are you done? I've done them. I, I'm I'm done for now. I I'm getting faster uh, in all other distances, and I did get faster on from marathon one to marathon two. But I feel yeah. like I hit my goal, and I was really happy that I got that. And I I don't really want to go through the training again. It's for me, it's too much of a commitment. It's quite selfish. It's you know you've got to really commit 110. percent And I like doing other things, and I like having flexibility, and you know being able to. Yeah, for other things in my life, it was a lot. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm just looking at your athletes profile here: the sugar loaf, and then and then the uh, Publix. Yeah, and you had a, a whole lot of um, you had some miles, you had some some 10k's, some 5k's. The the one thing that I've noticed in in a lot of my you know people that I would go training with or people that I talk to is they all it seems like the fastest 
um, it, later in life all have mer- um, Iron Man backgrounds. And that was something that I never did was just those big, stupid miles. And so that was part of the reasoning with the 50 miler was I sort of just need to go. I needed to sort of smash. I think I could be totally wrong. (laughs) I wanted to just smash through that, that limit. And then again, back down. Cause I've, I've been shocked. I, I, um, I've only been able to run the last three months. I detached my bicep. And so I've been just a, a total, uh, run, uh, program since. And so it's been nice. And I had, and I can't really run fast because of the jarring and all that stuff and risk of falling. Yeah. So it's just been really slow, easy, sloppy miles. And I do find that I'm getting more efficient and faster and stuff. So as I come out of that, um, physical therapy and am able to start doing some more aggressive running, I, I have definitely noticed that I, my legs feel stronger. I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely fitter than I've been in the past when it, with regard to longer runs. Yeah. And I was the same. So until I did these marathons last year, my long miles were on a bike. I'm, mm. I love road cycling. I've cycled for years, yeah. got into it because I got a road bike when I worked at London Olympics, I needed to travel from the center of London out to Olympic park every day. And I decided that the bus was going to take just as long. So I got a road bike and fell in love with it. And cool. that was it. And that was where I, I've done quite a lot of um, hundred milers and two day stage races over in Indonesia because that sounds exotic, but from Singapore it's a fifty minute ferry, yeah. And we would go and do these do these two day stage races and really good fun. And those were the slogs, you know, five six hours on the bike and extreme climbing. So I think that prepared me for what a marathon was about. But yeah. you're, I mean, very different on your legs mm. as you. Um, but that was where I did my like endurance stuff. I'm not a swimmer, so yeah. triathlons are not in my wheelhouse, but I did duathlons or I did standalone cycling and then the running, but it's a good balance. I yeah. really, I think cycling is a great recovery from running. And if you get strength on the hills and your legs on the bike, then it, yeah. it helps, you know, for running too. I will agree with that a hundred percent. I, when we moved up to Colorado, I got into cyclocross and I found that, my running never really seemed to help my cycling, but my cycling that summer I did uh, Leadville Heavy Half, which is it's a 15 and a half mile run, but eight miles of it, you're running up Mosquito Pass from, I think you run up to about 13,500 feet. So it's wow. super steep. And I, it just felt like I was riding a bike. It was just these small little pedal strokes up the mountain. And I, I, I did exceptionally well for where I thought I would. Um, and so, yeah, the putting in those hours and the miles on steep, hard climbs on the bike really seemed to help my running versus the other thing where I just don't ever feel like running, like your cycling legs are cycling legs. There's no way to, (laughs) there's no way to fake that. Unfortunately. I call it like dancing. So I was like, you know, it's like, it was describing me. So I was like, I feel if you think about going up a hill, it's like dancing on the pedals. You're just yeah. going to the rhythm, going to the rhythm. It's short, sharp, short, sharp. And yeah. then if you translate that into running, overstriding is not going to help you. So for me, a short, short stride <clears throat> hike, yeah. just get up there, you know, look, look down or look up, whichever works for you. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a mind game, I think, too. Sometimes you want to know where the hill is and other times just pretend you're not on one and just look down yeah what's the um what's the terrain like in rhode island is it is it hilly like a lot of rolling hills um in the city itself it's fairly flat i mean little inclines but you can go you can go not very far and find 
and find some hills. It's it's a good mix for me. It's not it's not too much one way or the other. I, I kind of like it's 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 fairly gentle. Nothing nothing extreme. There's no mountains, um, but there's enough that you can get good workouts. Our yeah. even in our neighborhood, we have a a run called the Snake. And it's basically six hills that you weave up and down, back and forward. And that's a really good, that's like three miles of climbing. So oh, nice. Nice. There's enough to have a have a variety and, and give your legs that feeling. Because the funny thing about Atlanta was that I was actually meant to do Tokyo, which is one of our races. But when that got called off, I just decided, okay, what else is is on that day because I trained for the first of March. Yeah. And I naively in my head, I thought Atlanta was like LA. I imagined this huge, big sprawling city that was really flat. Mm. And Tokyo Marathon is flat. There's no elevation. Right. So I've been training for that. And um Atlanta's actually hillier than Sugarloaf. Yeah. Yeah. So I messed up on that. I still got my time, but yeah. I basically did more climbing than I'd expected. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. There was a lot of um, discussion around that, I'll call it discussion, where there were a lot of people who felt like the Olympic trials should have matched the Olympic course because, you, you know, you're basically, you're giving an opportunity to maybe better climbers, you know, better hill runners than than what is going to actually be in the Olympics, which it's kind of hard to argue with that logic, really. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, their, their course was different. So they ran on the Saturday and I watched that and then yeah. we ran on the Sunday and ours was actually hillier, <laughs> I'll say that. But theirs was very hilly. So you're right. If that's not your kind of race and you're yeah. not a Boston-type runner or a yeah. New York runner, that's a very different game for people who, you know, the Tokyo Mar- Tokyo race, which is in Osaka now, but that is going to be much flatter. You're yeah. right. It's a, it's a different kind of runner. Will you go back and do that? You said you were done marathoning, but I can't imagine that you're totally done. I'm sure you got some more in you. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think to have the chance to run a major would be yeah. amazing, but but right now I'm I'm okay with having. I was going for a time goal and I got it, so it, I was disappointed at not yeah. to have done it in Japan, but I'm happy that I did it. And actually, for us, race weekends are so busy working that you know that was a little chance to do it, but I don't see that happening again because there's so much going on, and I want to be there yeah. doing my job and trying to balance racing and working. I think is a you know, that's an ad, another layer of stress. So I'm, yeah. I'm okay with maybe one day. I'd love to run London because it's, you know, UK or yeah. maybe Edinburgh Marathon someday. But I I really enjoy running as my switch off. You know, it, it's my get up in the morning, see a group of girls, get faster. But not I'm not, I'm not training for anything in particular, but yeah. I can see my progress. Yeah. So I, I'm happy. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Was your goal, you said at 3.45 at Publix? Yeah. Yeah. So you did a three three forty four twenty eight. So the fact that I, I got that on the hills, that's I a was, hell of a run. Yeah, it's great. I was happy. How did you like yeah. running with a pacer? I actually loved it. I yeah. would. I was. I was the first time I'd done it, and it really helped because when you go out the gates, it, you know it's true. You've got that adrenaline, and everybody wants to go faster than they should. You know what pace you should be running, but your mind and body get carried away. But the pacer really kept, and I kept thinking like the first five or six miles, you know, we're going far too slow. We're not yeah. going to, we're not going to get this, but they knew the course and they knew that the last five miles was uphill. Got it. So we had to keep something in reserve. So our first few miles were really slow, but then we made it up on the downs and still had 
you know, had something left. Had I gone solo, I yeah. know for sure I would have gone <clears> way <throat> too fast and probably burned by the end. Yeah, just gone by whatever your GPS data was telling you just to run a yes. steady pay, yeah, pace. Yeah. So it was very varied when I look at my splits now, but I, like I said, like I, I talked to them and I, I felt comfortable and I trusted them. They'd both run it before because mm. some pacers turn up to marathons and pace them and they don't actually know the course either. Uh -oh. So being confident and trusting the person you're with, yeah. you know, I knew that they could do it and I knew they were mm. much faster runners. So that, that pace was easy for them. Yeah. And um, it was fun. It was, it was, and it's funny. I, you know, I, I've sort of stayed in touch with these two because four of us finished. It was quite a, yeah. quite a thing all to cross the line together. It was yeah. cool. Well, it's funny, you you know, going, going back to a couple of previous themes, volunteering to to pace, and then the fact that you've stayed in touch with a handful of the people that you were running with, that's that's kind of your your MO, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. like the connections you make. I mean, I I really from my my work and, and from my own running stuff, I have friends all around the world and I do feel very, very privileged that because you learn so much, you know, I'm from a small town in Scotland but I I've been like touched by so many people and I've been able to travel to so many places and see see things and understand things that I would never have done yeah. and really so much of that has come from sport in in one way or another it's yeah. you know it's a real positive thing and it, for, for for me like sport's such a good release from everything else yeah to be able to do it as a job is is amazing and it's still a job but it's something that I love yeah. and you up for in the morning and don't you know don't complain about so it's um yeah it's the, the global nature of it and the fact that people come you know so like the olympics it's, it is a bit of a family you do one and then a lot of you do the same and four years time you all get together again and it's yeah. like you've never been apart you know i That's love that cool. and the races are the same you know the, the majors like we all there's a group of us that go to every single race and then some of the runners do the same so you see the same runners yeah. coming back it's like summer it's camp yeah well, we all have to work, so you might as well do something that that feeds your soul, that you love, that you're passionate about. That can, that can. It's it's interesting because like my hobbies, computer programming and design, and now video production and running and all of those things are what I do for a living. And so, yeah, I mean, it's literally for the last I don't know 17 years of my life. I've been. I think it drives my wife crazy sometimes because I work too much, quote unquote. But it's like I'm kind of half the time I'm doing this hobby thing that's not really work, you know, so. You spend so much of your life working, you need to, <clears throat> if you can, you should do something you enjoy. And don't, and yeah. like, don't settle, you know, if you're not happy in a job, like look for something else, you know, like do what, do what makes you happy, yeah. do what excites you. Yeah. Because there's too many hours in the day if you're not going to be doing something that you enjoy, you know. Yeah. So give us a Give us a, a quick overview of like what's a day in the life um, it, for you, like as far as your your job at uh, World Marathon Majors. I mean, just now, like everybody, it's it's a little bit different. Sure. Obviously, we've not had any races, or, we, or London did a great in person in October, but we weren't there. Um, my last in person major was New York in November or Halloween, first of November, twenty nineteen. Um, but the one thing that hasn't changed for me is that I'm remote and I was remote before this. So people are always saying, oh, how are you coping? So it, our teams, there's, there's six of us. There is three in Chicago, myself here on the East Coast and two in the UK. And it, it, it works. We've, you know, we've done Zoom the whole time. So we, I spend most of my day um, video calls, catching up with the team or 
connecting with the communications heads of the six races. We have constant contact to make sure that we're not overlapping in each other. We're sharing each other's news. There's a lot of collaboration that I think is surprising because in, in most sports, you wouldn't get teams sharing information and sharing things, yeah. but the majors actually do they they share and they work together as much as their standalone events so we have a lot of collaboration there um at the moment like everyone in, in running we've created a digital platform so i've now um become sort of head of the, the virtual side we have a global run club so i'm really enjoying it it's, it's not maybe so much comms and pr as you think but we're creating challenges we're doing this global marathon so a lot of a lot of that working with our provider to create it, creating communications, writing articles for the newsletter. I mean, every day yeah. is a little bit different doing stuff like this. Yeah. Um, no day is the same. And I, I like this. So even though I'm physically stuck and we can't go anywhere and we can't meet in person, I haven't seen my boss for, you know, it'll be probably two years by the time we, we get together again. But we connect all the time you know, and this technology, right? You couldn't, yeah. if things, if this had happened when I started out, what would you, it's tough. You know, what would you have done? we'd be writing letters yeah. to one another. And the, and the phone <laughs> when you can't see anyone, you know? Um, so it, it's busy and it's good busy. We're, we're trying to do as much as we can with what we have and the races are doing all they can to work out possible scenarios and planning for what they can do when and obviously what's safe and what's, yeah. you know, what's going to be allowed in Tokyo is going to be different to what's allowed in London or in the US. So they're all trying to navigate, but we're also creating, um, one of my colleagues is leading these groups to make sure that where possible there's synergy so that somebody who goes to one of our races will have a similar experience and make sure that protocols are upheld and there's a bit of continuity where possible, cool. you know, to try and lead the way and hopefully things come back sooner than later. Cool. Well, boys and girls, if you want to work in the industry, there's a little snapshot. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. I think that's the thing. Be prepared to be flexible and just yeah. take what comes your way. Yeah, I really awesome. believe that. Cool. Well, I can see yeah. the finish line across the horizon. You want to uh, answer some questions in our little 10, 10 question dash? Let the listeners. Oh, yeah. All right, cool. Here we go. Alrighty, what's your gear looking like? What brands are you repping? Your bike or your shoes or anything you want to talk about? Condor bike, which I love. Um, I've just bought new shoes. I'm in Sokani now for okay. fast switch, endurance, speed, and I bought the rides the other day. Jury's still out on those. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very good. You know, what, a Condor bike? I don't know if I've ever heard of that brand. So the cycling team was Rafa Condor. Rafa provided okay. the clothes. Condor is the bike. It's Italian cool. uh, bike. It's beautiful. It's oh. my little baby. Nice. Love it. Excellent. Love it. Uh, what's your next race? Something local. Our club. We have a my my run club, Ronald McDonald House. Probably do something local with socially distanced. A ten or a five, maybe oh. a half. Okay. Maybe a half. Very good. Uh, do you have a favorite sports book or movie or anything that you've come across over the years? You have to. Yeah, two two things, and they're quite recent. Dina Castor's book, okay, I love, and I love her as a person. She's become a good friend, and her book is is a must read. And the movie is an is a one I came across two weeks ago called Olympic Dreams, and it stars Alexi Pappas, who is the American Greek. She ran five thousand meters in Rio yeah. for Greek. She's American. She just launched a book the other day. It's a story of her as a cross country skier, which she's not. 
um, falls in love with a volunteer dentist at the Pyeongchang Olympic Games. And long story short, it's it's very similar to a part of my life story. So it it, it means a lot. And I was I was at those games. So oh, that's Olymp- so. So it's an Olympian athlete, basically just as an actor, though she's not like it's not yeah. a documentary. Oh, okay, that's no, interesting. She, she's she's an she's an athlete who also acts and has created this story about a Winter Olympic athlete. Her husband directed directed it, and Nick Kroll stars alongside her. Oh, cool! I highly recommend it. Yeah, all right, what's the name of it again? I, I Olympic Dreams. Olympic Dreams. Uh-huh. I wrote to her and told her that it was quite bizarre how she was making a movie as my life was sort of playing out that way that's awesome all right we'll check it out uh what's your what's your favorite race you can combine these two so it's a favorite race or your bucket list race you said london bucket list probably london probably london and i love working on it i love that london's one of my favorite cities so the atmosphere i mean finishing in front of buckingham palace that would that would be cool i'd like to I'd like to do that. Yeah, London, London. I don't like the weather per se, but London is a is of all the cities that I've been to in the world, London I could live in. I loved London a lot. Uh, home stretch uh, song or band on your playlist? What's the What's the song that you didn't mind when it came back twice around at Sugarloaf? <laughs> oh, good question. Because I know what I didn't like. Um, what did I like? It's got to be something up tempo. Yeah. Um, I love a bit of Jess Glynn, who's a another girl I'd recommend, an, an English singer. Something that just has a good beat. Um, yeah, Jess Glynn or not Ed Sheeran. That that slows you down. So yeah. think anything that's too smooshy or In more ways oh, I, than I, one. I tell you what drove me mad was um, Lady Gaga's from A Star Is Born. I love that song, but it played three times on my oh, playlist. Okay, Griffin. we'll give a ding and a cowbell for that. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's uh, what's any embarrassing stories that uh, anything, uh, anything stand out? Oh. Oh yeah. Uh, quick one. So Rio Olympics 2016. I was going in to moderate the press conference for Venus Williams and Ram, who just won the silver medal mixed doubles. I was in a rush, running into the press conference. Was looking down at my phone at the same time as running and I ran straight into a concrete wall and oh. ended up on my back. I had to go into the press conference dizzy and not quite sure what I was doing. True story. Oh, that is awful. All right, do you have yeah. any pre-race rituals or superstitions? Uh, I have everything laid out the night before, but okay. I do that even for even for a, a normal day. I don't like to go to sleep before I know I've got all my kit laid out. Wow, nice. Living or dead, who would you most like to share a long run or, in this case, ride with? Run, probably Dina, if I could keep up with her, because okay. she's great at that. Yeah, that's a great answer. Ride, probably... Um, probably Mark Cavendish. Mm. Uh, he's, a, he's a good guy. I've, I've known him from a few years ago, and if I could climb and get up the hills and keep up with him on the sprints, that would be fun. Yeah, I was going to say, you just got to make it a long ride. <laughs> Don't try to sprint against him. Yeah. All right. And the final question, Lorna, what is the secret? The secret is being persistent, knowing your own capabilities and not being told otherwise. Boom. I love that. That is awesome. Well done. Way, way to bring it back around. I think that's, yeah. 
that just came to me. So yeah, be uh, spontaneous as well. <laughs> yeah, those are always the best ones when they they just they kind of come right into your brain there. Uh, any parting words that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, your, those last ones on the secret were pretty good. No, it just it's just so nice to chat. I just I'm I love what I do, and I any chance I get to talk about sport and yeah. some of the wonderful things. Like you said, I have been fortunate, so I think it's it's nice to look back on positive experiences, and hopefully there's there's lots more ahead as well. Yeah, is there anywhere people can reach out to you if they have any questions and like uh, you know kind of pick your brain? Like yeah, I mean, I have, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, all of the all of the above, which didn't exist when I was trying yeah. to start out. Okay. So, what's yeah. your What's your handle on any of those? We'll have links in the show notes and stuff too. Uh, LinkedIn list Lorna Campbell. My Instagram is Lorna Sportel because L E L L E is female in French. People okay. often think that's my name, but Got it was it. just a little, a little play on that Perfect. female sports. Okay, we will include those in the show notes. Then I will make note of that myself. So, well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really glad that thank we were you. able to sit down and do this. It's been fun. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll get a run in person one day when things come back to normal. God willing, one of these days I will. Uh, hopefully, I'll do my 50 and then back it down and do some of these majors at yes. some point. Yeah, I'm doing major. Yeah, we've got uh, Marathon Marcus. Marcus uh, Brown is on the podcast Saturday morning. Where his show will air. And he went from like a high fives and he just ran sub three in the, um, it was the London virtual, but he ran yeah. it in person at an in-person. Uh, great story. And like he he definitely inspired me to like watching that time come down and stuff. It's like, well, shoot, maybe... I don't know, maybe. And it, it sounds cliched, but if someone like can do, if, if someone like Marcus can do that, yep. I mean, it really is. It's, it's what you put your mind to. Yeah, Absolutely. super, super inspirational. I think by the, yeah, by the time yours airs, his will have aired. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't listened to it for those listening. So cool. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Take sure. care. Yeah, likewise. And that is the show, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission at Athlinks. Thanks again to Lorna Campbell of the Abbott World Marathon Majors. We do a special post uh, for each episode on Instagram, so look for the post for episode 27 with a picture of Lorna. And Lorna, you have to send me a picture. Um, If you have any comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Uh, The best way to support the podcast is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it with anyone you think would enjoy it and please give us a quick rating and review. Again, share it with friends far and wide to help spread the word. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. We did it. Yay!